So what we're beginning to see as we move through this last week of Jesus's life is the intense opposition and hatred from the religious guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious elite leaders of that day, the experts in the law, as the scriptures would describe it, and the humble acceptance of his message by his close followers, not only his disciples, but the Jews whose heart was open to the message because in their common everyday pursuit of the true meaning of life, they knew that their Old Testament scriptures told them there would be a Messiah. And so perhaps their hearts were open to this. We're on the third day of this last week we call Passion Week. We're using a source, The Final Days of Jesus, written by Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor, to get the information that we have here and also the scripture. But I love that subtitle from this book, The Final Days of Jesus. It's the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. And so each day that Jesus returns to Jerusalem and to the temple, the tension is mounting. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders hate Jesus, and they are trying to trap him any way they can. They're trying to get him to somehow incriminate himself so that they can arrest him and say that he is guilty. But all the while, that is their objective. The common Jewish citizens are intrigued by Jesus. And he wants to teach them as he teaches his close followers, the disciples. One of these lessons comes as they return to the city. And on this day of Tuesday of Passion Week, they're making their way back toward Jerusalem. And Peter mentions the fig tree as they pass it. The one that Jesus had cursed and it withered by his words on Monday. No doubt showing his authority over all created things. You know, the scripture tells us. Through him, everything was made, and and without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's in the creation story, according to John chapter 1, because Jesus is God. And so Jesus says to Peter, as they pass that tree, and Peter points it out, have faith in God, and you can accomplish supernatural things you never imagined. You accomplish them with faith and And with prayer, Jesus then makes his way back to the temple for a third time. And no doubt everyone is now coming and the audience is building to see what's going to happen this time. What kind of encounter will take place? What spectacle will there be in the temple, in the synagogue? Because yesterday Jesus came and elaborately cleansed the temple and threw out the money changers. Monday was that cleansing moment to reestablish the purpose of God's house. Today, it's like a QA and a session from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious experts. Knowing they couldn't arrest him outright because that would lead to a riot, they look to trap Jesus in his answers. However, Jesus is far too wise for this. And one of the first questions they asked him referred back to the things that he did just the day before the expelling of these money changers and throwing out of their articles for sale out of the temple. And so they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus, in his wisdom, being fully God and yet fully human, spoke the truth in love. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And he knew in that moment that he had him trapped as well. 
Because if they were to say from heaven, then they would have to acknowledge that what Jesus experienced when he modeled that baptism, that there was authority in it. We know the dove descended, a voice also spoke, and the heavens opened up. The Spirit of God saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased as he began his public ministry. If that truly was a heaven-sent experience, then Jesus is the Messiah. However, if this baptism that John was calling people to was simply from man, then the Pharisees knew they had the dilemma of the Jews responding negatively towards them because they saw John as a prophet. He was a forerunner. He was mentioned in the Old Testament as the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. So their answer to the question was, we don't know. And Jesus responded, well, if you can't tell me the answer to my question, then neither will I tell you by whose authority I do the things that I do. Jesus was a master of not falling into the traps of these religious people, seeking to arrest him, and wanting to do away with him. He also told stories. He was a master storyteller because he said the parables were there to give hidden language to those whose hearts were closed, but to those who were open and the spirit would be allowed to enlighten them, they could understand the more heavenly meaning of the story. And so on this Tuesday, March 31st, AD 33, he tells several stories or parables. One of them was the parable of the two sons. It's found in Matthew 21, 28 through 32. I would encourage you to take a look at that. If you get a chance, maybe read through it. Following that one is another one called the parable of the tenants, these keepers of the field. And in both of these parables, there's an illustration, a direct correlation to the faithlessness of the Pharisees, the hard-hearted nature of how the Pharisees are interacting with Jesus and interpreting what he came to do and who he truly is. The Pharisees also sent another one to ask an individual question, probably came on behalf of them to say to Jesus, what is the greatest command? And Jesus quotes to this man, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the Jewish people would have known this as the Shema. And it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he also quotes from the Old Testament that likened to its similar command to love your neighbor as yourself. And in answering the man's question, he understands that his heart may be opened. So he, he gives him a, a commendation and ultimately an invitation by telling him, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. If you're interested in these things, it's, it's somewhat easy for you now to take another step and invite me in. Those Pharisees, though, wanting to trap him yet again, Ask him their own question. And they bring it in terms of taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said to them, well, show me a coin. Give me a Roman currency. And as he held up that coin as an object lesson to those around, he asked the question, whose inscription is on this? And everybody said, Caesar's. And so he said, well, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's. As long as there is a government authority requiring taxes be paid, give them a payment. But he follows that up by saying, but you must render to God's what is his. 
Render to God what is God's, meaning that we are image bearers. Our heart bears the image of God himself. Just like the coin had an inscription in the image of Caesar, our hearts are inscribed with the image of God. And so therefore we are to give our lives as an offering back to God. One final attempt to trap him in this Q&A session, it brings the, the Sadducees to the table. And they come along and ask him a question about resurrection. If you know anything about that division of the religious leaders, you know that the Sadducees did not believe in an earthly bodily resurrection. Jesus came along and in their trap said, God is a God of the living, not the dead. And so if God is a God of the living, then we know that each one of us have an opportunity to experience eternal life with him one day. The scripture would tell us after all of those encounters, as they happened, one right after another, and the wisdom of Jesus to take each one on and respond truth and love with God's answer. It says, they dared not question him anymore. And then Jesus begins a hard rebuke. A pronouncement of judgment over the Pharisees and the religious experts who are wrapped up in their own self-righteousness. You see, we're not saved by our own good works, by greater effort or broader actions. No, we're saved by faith in Christ alone through his grace alone. And the religious guys of that day couldn't grasp this. Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides, broods of vipers, and more while pronouncing seven woes of judgment upon them, speaking to them with a harsh rebuke as if to say, you've missed the significance of my coming entirely. And as he and his followers departed Jerusalem on that Tuesday evening, which was his habit and his routine by this point, to go into the city during the day and to leave it at night, Jesus begins to share with them some significant information regarding the temple and its destruction. Many wonder what he literally meant by the things that he said, but it's obvious that Jesus gave a detailed description of events that would occur in a layered time frame. They would be sort of played out over time and in several instances. Some things took place in A.D. 70 in a reference to the destruction of the temple that's historically already taken place, and yet others of these things that we'll read in just a minute took place and will take place upon his return. This is found in Matthew 24 and 25, and it's called the Olivet Discourse, and this is where I want us to spend our direct time in God's Word this day, on Tuesday, March 31st, A.D. 33. Matthew 24 and verse 3 says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, what will these things happen and when? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place first, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are just the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. 
you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must, housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were limited, no one would survive. But those days will be limited because of the elect. If anyone tells you, then look over here, there's the Messiah. Or over here, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. See if they tell you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. Look, he's in the inner room, don't go out. Do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Whenever the carcass is, there will the vultures gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the sky to the other. Now learn this from the parable of the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and it sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. I assure you, this generation certainly will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. As the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. The two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert, since you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you must also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I assure you, 
he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkenness, the slave's master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces, assign him a place with the hypocrites, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty? And give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you also did not do this for me as well and they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life and when he had finished saying all these things jesus told his disciples you know that the passover takes place after two days and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified we're marching ever close to the day when jesus would offer his life but in this day On this Tuesday, he offers us words of eternal life, preparing our hearts, getting us ready for the return of Christ in the day in which we live. And so I would say to each one of you, make yourselves ready. I would say to myself, make sure that I am ready. Be about the Father's business, just as Jesus said to his mother in that temple moment when he was 12 years old, I have to be about my father's business. Let us be about the work of God to love him wholeheartedly and to love others as ourselves. This truly is the greatest command we've been given and the mission of Jesus left with us after his death and resurrection.